Happy holidays, everyone, and welcome to the Movie Guys. My name is Paul O.D. That'll make sense in a few minutes. Um, here with another TMG interview. Uh, welcoming a return subject for our interview, I first talked to uh, this guest when he was doing press for the documentary Finders Keepers. The easiest pitch for a doc you'll ever hear. I'll do that for you later. Uh, he followed that up with another Sundance Grand Jury Prize nominee with Gleason and now directs all four episodes of the huge, sprawling HBO Max endeavor, Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults, available now. It's great to welcome back Clay Tweel. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, and uh, if you were paying attention in the, in the 90s, you know that Heaven's Gate was one of those cults that checked all the boxes in terms of like indoctrination and uh, isolation, and, um, and it ended in the biggest mass suicide in on U.S. soil in history. What I didn't know that the doc enlightened me to was that this was a longer process than I thought it was. I thought people saw the comet, had an idea, and that they, the, the people killed themselves thinking they would join this uh, Hale-Bopp comet and then achieve this next level existence. Um, but of course, the doc enlightened me to this long 20-year journey. So beyond what I've just said, Clay, how do you what, what, what do you tell people when you want them to take in your documentary? What are they going to see? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I too was, I was in high school when the suicides happened in 97. So like you, I was like, oh, there's, there was a longer 22 year history. I didn't really know much of anything about um, the co-leader of the group, Bonnie Nettles. She went by T. Um, and just the, the way in which the, um, theology and ideology, I should say, of the group evolved over the many years. And so um, that's what I've found fascinating and gravitated towards and trying to explore and do a deep dive into that evolution and get to know a lot of the former members and um, really hear them out uh, and, and understand their experience. So was this something then that you pitched around town until it found a home at HBO Max? Or did this, uh, was this out there needing a director and you're like, oh, oh, I'm the guy because I've been fascinated by this. How did that work? It, it was more the latter in the sense that, so I, I did a um, true crime series uh, with Ross Dennerstein um, and uh, it was called The Innocent Man for, for Netflix. It was based on John Grisham's only nonfiction book. And so we had just finished that and Ross had just gotten the rights to a 10 part podcast called Heaven's Gate. Uh, and it was beautifully done and and had access to uh, a lot of former members and family members of, of uh, members who lost their lives. And I learned lots of things that I didn't know about a group that I already thought I kind of had pigeonholed. Yeah, that's would be probably, this leads me to two questions that you can ask about anybody who makes a documentary. And the first would be, what is the greatest insight you discovered when you did a deeper dive than most people into your documentary subject? One of the things uh, that was fascinating to me was understanding the the complexity around like the views on cults in general and um like i i did not know that i asked everybody this question everybody i interviewed every expert every family member everybody it's like what's the what's the difference between a cult and a religion and i had a, a myriad of answers um, but I, I do think that they largely fit into two buckets of like, every religion is a cult. It's just like cult plus time equals religion. Or, you know, cults have a very specific set of qualities where you have a leader who has got sole access to the truth and makes you divorce yourself from society. Like, 
you know, there's sort of these guidelines. And I didn't, I did not necessarily coming into this know the depths of which we would be exploring those or that there were such different answers. This has to be true for you because it kind of seems the trajectory of the film. There's a humanization that previously was missing as well, where you just thought loons, right? But now it's like, oh, these were vulnerable people who, you know, were in any number of different situations to find themselves capable of being lured into this. Totally. I mean, the last time we talked, I was, uh, you know, here to talk about Finders Keepers, which was another crazy, salacious headline of like two guys fighting over the custody of a human leg. But really, once you start to learn the, the human pathos of like why people do what they do and how that they put themselves in a position to have that headline happen, that's what I was interested in. So really taking that same approach and bringing it to, to Heaven's Gate and trying to understand from as many viewpoints as we could, um, you know, how people would believe in these things. Yeah, and I think it's those testimonials from the the cult members who got out and are still with us that uh, take this over the top in terms of like, you know, uh, not just entertainment value, but involvement, the, the level yeah. of involvement you have in this doc. Because it could you be a series of facts when you throw in the testimonials, then it becomes a richer film. So congrats on that. In fact, this brings me to the second question people ask when it comes to a documentary. My friend, Mike uh, J. Nichols just edited the Zappa documentary that's out there now. Oh yeah. And yeah, when they opened the vault for the family's, uh, Zappa's family opened the vault for all the footage. I mean, it's just overwhelmed. It's like, how do you even make a movie out of this? How much footage were you dealing with uh, that you have discovered? I know there was one, like you said, someone said there was like a 14 hour uh, video alone, just like, detailing a lot of the final days of the cult. So what were you dealing with in terms of mass of project content? Yeah, so I mean, the tools in our toolkit were essentially, there was about, the group had um, probably somewhere around 15 hours of video that they had taken over the last few years. Um, but a lot of it centered around the last couple months um, before they before the suicide. And so we had, you know, some a talent show that they did around Christmas time and, and just, you know, some little bits and pieces of them being on the road in 1994 and trying to go out and hold these meetings and do some more recruiting. Um, so we had parts of that sort of like home video archive. Um, and there was, there was more newspaper headlines than I, than I thought as well. Um, there really was a pretty big media blitz on them back in the, the mid seventies. And so everywhere they went um, and even places that they didn't go, there were like, you know, San Francisco Chronicle to the Houston Chronicle to the St. Louis Times, like everyone's doing these little pieces because it's the UFO part of it was so unique. And so we had a lot of newspaper headlines. We had those 15 hours of uh, sort of home video. We had our, um, our interviews. But one thing that was a real big find for us was one of our editors uh, was looking through a uh, letter from a former member to their parents back in 1976. And he said, oh, I wish you were able to watch some of the footage that this guy just shot and, uh, in Oklahoma. And um, our, our editor was like, huh. Roll up your sleeves, like, oh. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, huh, uh, this, this, is a guy, this is a guy, so let me look him up and see if I can find anything. And he like found that this guy had a, uh, a video production company in Oklahoma and uh, he called it up, the guy's son answered, 
And he said, my dad had passed away. But yeah, I got all this old footage that was shot on like high eight in 1976 with Heaven's Gate. We were not doing anything with it. So we found this never before seen footage of the Oklahoma public access show of, um, yeah, T and Doe talking and, and some of the, the group members talking that we found fascinating. Was there anyone you couldn't get to? Uh, clearly, some people have passed away since this was so long ago. Some people passed away right afterwards due to nefarious circumstances or things that, you know, more suicides and things. But um, okay. what uh, was there something you couldn't get your, your hands on? Well, yeah, there, there was. And I, I won't give away any names or anything, but there's some people that just like, this is a traumatic story. And um, you know, don't, they don't really feel like reliving it over and over again. And I also feel like the media over the years has been somewhat, uh, harsh and salacious with the storyline. And so they've, they've been, they have a lot of scars from it, um, and didn't want to necessarily jump back in front of a camera just to be possibly made to look weird or kooky again. Um, so you gotta you respect that. And, and, you know, like you, you see who you can talk to and you, you make the best case. But yeah, there were some, some former members and some family members that were just like, I've had 20 years of talking about this. I'm, I'm not ready to do it again. Yeah. And, and shout out to your editor team. I know I saw 12 names on IMDb, but they are always the, the not always unsung, but perhaps a little more than usual heroes of documentaries. They just are, are, are tireless. I, I, yes, we had an amazing editing team to give a shout out to them, Michelle Witten, James Lesh, and Giacomo Ambrosini. And like doing this series in quarantine, you know, like we, we still had some things, a few things to shoot and when COVID hit and we just had to like lock it down and start trying to piece this together. And, um, and the editing team was amazing and like trying to figure out a way to collaborate all from the, the comfort of our homes and, and still make something special was was hard, but uh, I think they did a great job. Did they come to you with like, I found all this stuff and then you go, okay, it's going to, do you go like minority report and start going, okay, this is going to go here <laughs> and where this is going to be here and we're going to put all this stuff. Or do you have a plan and say, guys, try and fit this. Do you know it's even going to be four episodes? Uh, how does that all, how does the structure form? Yeah, well, it's, it's a moving target. So we had a sketched out uh, outline of like, this is what we, we think four would be great. And this is how we think it would sort of break down. But then there's always that, there's that moment of uncertainty where you're, you're looking at things come together and you're like, can this fill out four? Is it five? Is it three? Like, where, where does it feeling right? And as we got the first rough cut together, we're like, okay, no, it's, it, this is the correct length. I think that the first episode has a lot of context and it's got a lot of information that you need to like set up to digest but then the uh, once you once you sort of get past that you're able to to have a lot of things like the pace changes a little bit you start out with one thing and it always changes it always evolves yeah that's the through discovery a lot of times too of things you find you didn't know were out there and that is a good note to give to anyone watching or, or listening to this is, you know, you'll watch episodes one and two, you'll lay the groundwork. I was going to do that and then come on here and talk. And then once you get the one and two, you're like, I'm not stopping. I watched all the whole thing. I figured I'd, I'd get some context to chat with you. But then, no, you got to see three and four. That is uh, both the film and the cult closing arguments. So don't do that's when all, you know, kind of 
all hell breaks loose. It's, it's fun. Uh, and it's fun for a filmmaker. Clearly there's pain on screen, but, but just watching it as a film goer, I'm like, this is just enrapturing. So. Well, we, I mean, like to that, to that notion though, we were trying to really play with the tone in a way that was both um, a little bit, a little bit playful because the, the group itself was like a pretty, um, especially in the early years, uh, benevolent, happy-go-lucky type of group. And then as their uh, belief system changed then and, and got a little bit more apocalyptic and darker, so the series sort of follows suit. But tonally, we did want to be able to not have the whole thing be a, a, like, a slow march towards a group of suicides. That, that would be unwatchable. And, and I think that the group members themselves were very self-aware um, and, and poked fun of themselves a lot. I mean, like, you know, they quoted Star Trek all the time. The, the storylines of a lot of Star Trek episodes were like this fleet out in space that was flying around to different civilizations and sort of having this um, non-interference mantra you know, but, but, uh, and that's how they saw heaven as well. They would go up into outer space and live on these spaceships in heaven and would travel around to different civilizations and like basically be gods to them in some way. Yeah. The film or the, the series clearly plays out with impending doom around the corner. We all know the end. So, but then, yeah, as soon as we see hail bop, you throw in a little ace, ace of base. I saw the sign. We're having a little fun. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah. I, there's been, a, there's been some comments about that. We had some, uh, we did want to be able to, again, showcase a little bit of the levity in the same way that they poked fun of themselves. We wanted to sort of bring that to. Yeah. Um, so I think the term that Reza Aslan brought up was cognitive dissonance. And that kind of plays through everything that Heaven's Gate was about uh, right on through to, you know, um, I, I, I got into that. And so I started looking up about that and the Atlantic had an article about um, cognitive dissonance as well. Talking about how, Hey, you know, you know, you should smoke, you know, you shouldn't smoke, you smoke anyway. So, so it's the belief in two ideas that you both believe in strongly. I should wear a mask. I'm not going to. You know you should. You don't. It's the whole thing that's just plagued humans forever. Like, when yeah. are we going to get over this? Clay, what, tell, tell the listeners when we're going to get over cognitive dissonance. I think it's baked <laughs> into our humanness. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we can ever uh, get over that. And I think that, yeah, like, the cognitive dissonance thing is one of my favorite scenes. But, you know, in religion and and diving into the waters of religion and politics, there's, there's some things that are just inherent to humans that are, that sort of circle around somewhat unanswerable questions about like the big existential thoughts of, uh, you know, the narratives that, that we as humans tell ourselves about why we're here. That's a hard thing to break down and try to tell people what to believe in, in any one way or another. Yeah. I mean, you sit and watch something like this and you think to yourself, could I ever, would I ever be in a place where I could? Because in Heaven's Gate, they refer to your body as a vehicle. It's uh, something you can shed then to get enlightened in the next level. And the interstellar space being that you are will come to the front and shed the human vehicle. But really what happens is uh, T and Doe, the leaders of the cult, make you the vehicle for their ideas. They fill you with, they fill your vehicle with their thoughts and ideas. And so I, I often wonder, that could never happen to me. Could it, Clay, could that ever happen to you? 
I, you know what, I, I think it could, because I think that um, what one of our experts, Steve Hassan, talks about a lot is like most of the people that he helps in his cult exit therapy as a like um, person who has talked to many people getting out of cults, he, most people get in because there's some sort of um, transition in their life that they're looking for connection in some way. So he says like death of a loved one, moving to a new city or town or, um, you know, like graduating college. There's, there's these moments of, of like, oh no, what, how do I make sense of the world and how am I going to connect to people? Um, and, and if that coincides with running across a message that makes you feel safe, then that's how you get hooked into whatever belief system. So um, I think that, you know, the bonds that the people in Heaven's Gate formed and, and the community that they found with each other was very real and very strong. Um, and I don't know, I, I, my, I think that my personal take on it is that um, depending on the, the level of transformative moment in an individual's life, yeah, I think everybody is susceptible in some way. Well, I'll say two things uh, to our listeners about it. Uh, one is, if you love the docu-series format that HBO has made popular with things like I'll Be Gone in the Dark and The Bow, you're going to love this. It does the same deep dive into something you didn't know enough about. And once you do, you're going to be fascinated and say to yourself, uh, what's wrong with people? But, um, <laughs> but then, of course, have the whole thing I was talking about with the... With, uh, um, empathy as well yes. um, and uh, Marshall Applewhite is proof of something I've been saying all along just look where uh, love of musical theater will get you uh, <laughs> but let me ask a question now <laughs> I ask everybody who comes on the show and I asked you this last time you were on the show what their favorite movie of all time is now you you did the thing where you break the rules and that happens um, what did I say? you said Big Lebowski and Groundhog Day and The Shining and that's perfectly fine. People break the rules all the time because there aren't any really. But yeah. have you narrowed it down since I last talked to you? Can you pick one of those now? Or is there something new that might have come in? I find it tough for a newer movie to come in and replace something that's had years with you. But where are you now? I mean, yeah, I, I, will, I will say that um, I do love Groundhog Day. It's a dark comedy. It's my, the signature in my email for the last... 15 years is a quote from that movie. So I might have to stick with it. The, the quote is, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Um, mm -hmm. So I like, I, I, I think I'll go with the uh, Groundhog's Day. I mean, there's been, wow. since we talked, many, many other great movies that I love, but I don't know if one has cracked the top five. Even in the pandemic, you're going to go even when we're living Groundhog Day, you're, you're not tired of it. That's good. <laughs> That's a testament of a good movie, to be honest. Uh, but let me tack one more thing on there. What is your favorite documentary of all time? Now that you're so versed in them. Yeah. Um, oh, and I expect cheating again here. We'll name three or four. You expect Perfectly cheating. Fine. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that uh, one of the first documentaries that like made me, that was like one of the most quotable things I've ever seen was Hands on a Hard Body by um, S.R. Bindler. It's a, do you know that movie? uh just in name i've never seen it yeah it's about a, a competition in texas uh people put their hands on the hard body of a truck and it's an endurance competition the last person to take their hands off the truck wins the truck um and uh of course I, that's happening somewhere right of course yeah. that's happening this was like early 90s 
and it's just like a bunch of small town people and uh i i loved it so much i watched it uh, many times over in college um so that was like my sort of entryway into quirky character docs and um i don't know i'm i'm such a big fan of uh errol morris's work and um i was talking about this earlier today with somebody but jesus camp is by uh mm. Heidi Ewing and Rachel Grady, I thought was, was amazing. And both like hit, was an inspiration for me on this project. And cult, it's a, yeah, cult. Cult, <laughs> but like evangelicals, po political ramifications, but also amazing characters to, to follow as they, they go on a journey. Well, Heaven's Gate, the cult of cults, which it is, is on HBO Max. Now you can just stop this and go watch it immediately. Um, and Finders Keepers is on Amazon. You can go watch that too. And I, as I mentioned before, it's the easiest pitch in the world. So I'll do it for you now. Um, <clears throat> a guy buys a grill used and it's got a human foot in it. So he does like people do, creates a roadside attraction where you can pay money to come see the foot. Then a guy says, hey, that's my foot. And the first guy says, Finders Keepers, there's your movie. If you don't want to go see what happens next, I, I don't even want to know you. So... Um, oh, and I should have mentioned I called myself Paul Odie because that was Odie was a name, a little moniker everyone in the cult put at the end of, not not necessarily their initials, but how did they find that name? Yeah, so, well, some people had a shortened version of their name. So, like, if you were Paul Odie, it would be P L L O D Y. So they put Odie uh, at the end of of each person's name, and it was always three consonants to begin with. Um, so uh, P L L O D Y would be your name, but some people had names that were not part of their first or middle names. It was just a, um, one of the characters in the, in, in people in the doc, her, her name was Erica, but um, she was one of the first people to join and they had a system called the check partner system. And she was called Checkody, C-H-K-O-D-Y. So it, it, it was sort of a, um, there was another person who was really tall. They called him Tall Odie, T -I, I remember that, yeah, you're right. And you would be? Uh, Clay Odie, probably C-L-Y-O-D-Y. C-L-Y-O-D-Y. Cleody. Yeah. All right. Well, find out more about the unique world of Heaven's Gate and Heaven's Gate Cult of Cults on HBO Max. And any other plugs, social or anything people should be do, uh, following for the film or for you? No, I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, all those things. Just my name, Clay Tweel, but check out the, the show on HBO Max. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And to follow everything up, I'm up to at themovieguys.net. Appreciate it, Clay. All right. Thanks, Paul. Great to see you.